You guys are stuck with me again. I feel bad for you guys, man. Uh, but here's the deal. There's a very exciting reason as to why Pastor Dan is not here this morning. So if the booth wants to pull up the first picture. Okay, um, so some of you guys might know who is behind me. That is Robert Russell. And what's wonderful about this, Robert grew up in this church and Pastor Dan got to officiate their wedding um, yesterday in Virginia. And so um, just as a brief plug, this is kind of, if you think about like what's the legacy of a youth ministry, it's a guy like Robert. Okay. I didn't know Robert when he started coming to youth group. Um, I've heard some stories. I won't share those. But I didn't know him. <laughs> I didn't know him when he started coming to youth group. But I see the God-honoring man that he became. So when I got here, he was interning and leading our youth. And now um, he's to the point where he married his wife, Kimby. So um, we're just going to celebrate that this morning. We're so thankful for that. And that's where Pastor Dan is this weekend. So um, in line with that, let's pull up picture number two. Uh, so this was at a bonfire back in, I think, October, November with our youth. And this is honestly more of like a prayer prompt. Um, just in a way of a reminder, we are going on our winter retreat this weekend, this coming weekend. So we leave Friday and we'll be gone um, kind of through Sunday, late afternoon, evening. And these retreats, like while they're fun and while we do all sorts of activities, they're a really like crucial time for us. Okay. Um, a lot of decisions get made on these retreats. Um, people have come to know Christ on these retreats. So we would just ask, like, as you look at this picture, um, that it would be a reminder for you guys just to pray for us this week. Um, also, I kind of realized that this retreat fell um, during daylight savings. And these retreats, normally there's not a lot of sleep. So um, maybe you guys could pray for me this week. Like I would really just appreciate some extra energy going into the weekend. Uh, but just wanted to throw these things um, to you guys before we got in God's word. So let's pray right now as we get ready to get into the word. Jesus, we love you. And as we think about all that you've done, God, I think about the song, Revelation song that we just sang. God, we just stand in awe of everything that you've created in the way that you love us. God, we thank you for Robert and for Kimby. God, for their marriage, for the fact that they want Christ to be at the center of their marriage. Lord, I pray that that would remain true, God, in their marriage. We lift up the youth retreat to you. God, this isn't just a, a, a time to get away. It's not just about activities. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to be transformed by you. And Lord, we pray for the scripture this morning that it would speak to our hearts, that it would bring about conviction, that it would grow us in godliness, and that it would shape us this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So if you take out your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 1. And so last week, Pastor Dan started us in a series um, through the book of John. And we'll be in the book of John for quite some time, um, just really looking at the person of Jesus. So John chapter 1, we're going to look at the first five verses this morning. And I want to start out with a story. The story took place probably 11 to 12 years ago. There was a college dorm, and the students were told that they had to evacuate. 
The students were confused as to why they had to move. They looked at the room and they said, you know what? I, I finally kind of have it the way I want it. I finally got a roommate I, li- I like. You know, everything's kind of structured the way I want it. The lights work. The plumbing works. The floor seems to be okay. I like my bed. My books are organized the way I want them. But what they were told is that there was an issue with the foundation. And while it didn't appear like much at the time, if the foundation wasn't addressed, that building was going to continue to slide down the hill it was on. It needed to be addressed. Had the foundation not been fixed, the results would have been catastrophic. Maybe this analogy might work a little bit better for you. Who here has played the game Jenga? Raise your hand if you've played the game Jenga. Um, so second show of hands. Who here thinks the game Jenga is fun? Like you enjoy Jenga. Um, I love you enough to tell you um, that I don't really like that game. It's, um, it's terrifying in a way. It's stress-inducing. It's a really stressful game. Because as you know, maybe you start pulling apart bricks in the tower, and you get the easy ones. But you start to notice that some of those blocks are crucial to the structural integrity of the tower. Pull the wrong one, the entire tower collapses. Our foundation is crucial. I would like to suggest this morning um, that unfortunately, in a lot of churches all across this country, we are losing our foundation. We have cracks in our foundation. And if that foundation is not addressed, if, if it is not preached faithfully, the results to the church could be catastrophic. There's a study done by a ministry called Ligonier Ministries um, over the course of 2016 and 2017 where they just asked churches all across America, um, hey, what do you believe? And there were very basic questions about Jesus, about the Bible, about baptism, things that we would say are foundational to our faith. And the results we're kind of sad. A lot of people um, didn't know about very basic things, very basic truths, very basic facts about the life of Jesus. This morning, we are going to start off our time in John really looking at Jesus' incarnation, his coming to this earth, what his purpose was, and we're going to see some truths about Jesus. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, going down to verse 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything that was made was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's stop there. So as we look at these first five verses, um, it's important to note, really these first 18 verses in John are known as John's prologue. In a lot of ways, he kind of like sets everything up that he's going to talk about in these first 18 verses. You know, the authors of the Gospels, if you were looking at the four Gospels side by side, you would see some similarities. But you would also see there are specific authors that God uses to write these books. 
They have specific audiences. They have specific purposes. John's purpose in writing his gospel is evangelistic. He wants the world to know who Jesus is. He wants the world to know that this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah you have been waiting for. And so he's evangelistic in his approach in his writing. So with that end, um, I want us to answer this question this morning. What does this passage, what does this group of verses say about Jesus? And as we were to look at that, um, we would see three truths about Jesus in this passage. So first and foremost, we would say Jesus is the preeminent God. Jesus is the preeminent God. So going back to verse 1 and 2, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's preeminent. And as we think about that word preeminent, we might say, man, that's that's kind of a loaded word. That that can mean like, no, there's kind of a lot to that. So what do we mean by this phrase preeminent? Paul writes about this in Colossians 1, verse 17, and he says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's interesting. You could put John 1 and Colossians 1 kind of side by side and really kind of have a whole, really like kind of theology about who Jesus is. They sum it up very well in those chapters. What we mean by preeminent is, man, he was first. He's before all things. He's with the Father at creation. Sometimes we have this idea in our mind that there's an Old Testament God who's like kind of angry, and there's this New Testament God who's completely different. But God has remained constant throughout the ages. Jesus is there at creation. He's preeminent. He's before all things. He holds all things together. We see this defined in the Trinity, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And you'll notice in this passage in Genesis Um, You can also see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. There is a plural language that is used at creation. That yes, it is God the Father, but you have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And you have the Son who is also present at creation. If you think about it, this eliminates a lot of like the common myths that you hear about Jesus. And there, there are a lot of them out there. Um, you know, maybe you've heard this. Um, you know, this is just a great story, but, but all it is is a story. Or, or maybe you've heard this one. You know, Jesus is like a really good guy, and he's a great teacher. And he teaches some good lessons. Or, you know what, maybe he's just like a moral example. And he's just, a, you know, a guy that like, he's nice, and we're supposed to follow, and you know, those examples and, and everything like that. Or maybe you've heard this one, and I think this one is the one we hear most commonly. Um, you know, Jesus is the way, but maybe he's just like, one of many ways. And, you know, as long as you kind of find your way, you'll be all right. But as you look at John's gospel, as you look at the scriptures, um, you would say, you know what? That's not what Jesus really says about himself. Jesus makes some pretty exclusive claims. And this is one of the first, that he was in the beginning with God, that he is preeminent, 
That separates him from all of these other myths and all of these other tales that we hear about Jesus in society. He's preeminent. Here is the encouragement in this. The one who puts all things in motion. So if he's preeminent, he's first. The one who puts all things in motion is sovereign. He knows all things. He controls all things. He is working his plan and his will in your life right now. In Christ, you can have that confidence that because he's preeminent, because he's first, and because he holds all things together, he's working his plan and his will in your life right now. As you think about the injustice that you see sometimes in this world, you have the comfort of knowing, you know what, there's an answer to all of this injustice that I see. I see stories in the news, and um, man, the news can be kind of depressing if you focus on it. I see stories in the news, and I, I see things like human trafficking. I see things like systemic racism. I see all sorts of stories in the news. And if you think about it, you're like, okay, where is the justice? But when you remember Jesus, the preeminent God that everything will have to give an account to, you'd say, you know what? Justice is coming. We're going to be all right. Jesus tells us about this. He's the preeminent God. He's working his plan. His love hasn't, hasn't faltered. He hasn't forgotten about us. He's preeminent. He's first and foremost. He holds all things together. Jesus is the preeminent God. Jesus is also the creating God. Verse three said this, all things were made through him and without him, not anything, not anything made that was made. So not only is Jesus present at creation, Jesus is active in creation. He builds and he sustains his creation. It's incredible to think about. If you think about the beginning of creation, sometimes when we share the gospel, we start out with, you know what, you're a sinner and that's how it starts. But really where it starts is God creating a perfect creation. It starts in Genesis 1, not in Genesis 3. And if you look at Genesis 1, you would notice a lot of parallels with our passage today, John 1 and Genesis 1. So let's read the first three verses in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And I've got the wrong, I've got the wrong verse, my bad. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I want you to think about those three verses, and I want you to look back at John 1. And if you looked at these passages kind of parallel to each other, you would notice like a lot of similarities between the two. Jesus is not only present at creation, but Jesus builds, he creates, and he sustains his creation. So creation starts with paradise. It then goes into ruin because of our sin. And the Bible is bookended by paradise. It's amazing. It starts with paradise. There's sin. Jesus comes to pay the price for that sin. But then it ends with paradise. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, gives us a picture of the new heaven and a new earth. And it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I want you to focus on this part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It starts in paradise. It also ends in paradise. God restores everything back to the original order. So as we think about this creating God and Jesus being active in his creation, um, I was thinking about a song that we sing in youth group sometimes. Um, It's a song called So Will I by Hillsong. And um, I was joking with somebody like, you know, the Hillsong version, the iTunes version, like it's okay. Um, The Rachel Costa version is actually really good. So like, um, I think we can just put Rachel Costa kind of on tap for any of you guys who want to hear it. Like, just tap Rachel on the shoulder. She'll start singing it. Like, I haven't run that by her, but I'm pretty sure she'll be okay with it. Um, but it's, it's a good song, and there's this one line that every single time stands out to me. It says this, On a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. So I want you to think about this. Jesus, the creating God, creates the space where he would eventually be crucified. That part hits me every single time, that he knew creating this space where he would be crucified. He knew how it would happen. He created the very space where he would be unjustly killed on our behalf. It's amazing to think about that he creates things on such a grand scale. He creates a space where he would be crucified. He creates things like the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, the beach, like all of these amazing things that we would look at and would say, man, Jesus created that. When I lived in Virginia, uh, we would go on a walk sometimes outside of our apartment and we could see the sun set over the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was incredible. Every single time I would stop and I would take a picture and Jess would say, Chris, you have like 80 pictures of the same sunset on your phone. Like, why do we have to stop every time? Because every single time it would blow me away. I couldn't believe the colors I was seeing and then seeing it set over the mountains. It was just incredible. He creates these things on a grand scale. But what's also amazing, he doesn't just create the big things. He creates things on a small scale as well. It's incredible if you think about it. Matthew 10, verse 30 says this. It says, every hair on your head is numbered. Every single one. So not only does he create the mountains and the sun that sets over the mountains, not only does he create things like the Grand Canyon and the stars in the sky, but the smallest most minute details about you he has created. Jesus knows. He knows everything going on in your life right now. 
He knows maybe the small anxieties and fears that you're wrestling with right now. He knows about the situation at work that you're dealing with. He knows about the issue in your marriage. He knows the things that maybe you're scared about. Maybe he knows the ministry that you feel like you need to commit yourself to. As we came out of the I Am A Church member book, maybe God stirred something in your heart and he knows that you've been wrestling with it for a few weeks. Jesus knows. He knows the smallest things about you. He creates things on a big scale, but also on a small scale. But it isn't just that he knows. Jesus also cares about these things in your life. He doesn't just build his creation. He sustains his creation. He cares for his creation. So if you're anxious today, um, I would encourage you. Matthew chapter 6 is one of the most encouraging chapters of the Bible. And really, you could look at most of the chapter and gain tons of encouragement from it. If you doubt the love of God in your life, I would encourage you, spend some time in Matthew chapter 6. But we'll look at just one verse from that passage today. Matthew 6 verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into oven, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And it's funny, in that passage, um, he not only talks about the grass, he talks about the birds of the air. It's like, man, I take care of the birds of the air. I take care of the grass. How much more am I going to take care of you, my child? He not only builds his creation, but he cares about his creation so deeply and so intimately. He knows you well. He cares about you so much. And today... He wants to initiate a relationship with you if you don't know him already. And the great thing is this, if you do know him already, he is still constant in his pursuit after you. It's amazing. He builds his creation. He sustains his creation. He loves his creation. He pursues his creation. Jesus is the creating God. So Jesus is the preeminent God He's the creating God, but Jesus is also the saving God. John 1, verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is the saving God. And as you look at these two verses, verse 4 and verse 5, I want to point out two words in these two verses um, that really are going to tie this idea of him being the saving God together. They are the words life and light. Okay. These words appear in John's gospel a lot. In fact, the word life itself appears in John's gospel about 36 times. So John is trying to communicate something about the life that Jesus offers us. John 10.10 10 says it this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or to the full. So there's this abundant life that Jesus himself offers us and invites us to live with and for him. It's not just an exchange of knowledge. It's not just growing in our knowledge about God, but as we grow in our knowledge about God, 
We live with and for him. We pursue that abundant life. This starts not at eternity, but here and now. And I would say, if you're not pursuing this abundant life, um, you're missing out on something. You're missing out on life lived with and for God. It's not just about what we're saved from, but what we're saved for, what we're saved to go and do. And so maybe today, as you hear about this abundant life, you say, you know what, Chris, that sounds like a great idea. And, and I like that on paper, but that's hard. And right now, I feel like I'm a victim of my circumstances. Things have happened to me, and I just don't feel like I can live this abundant life. Or maybe you might say, I've tried, but it's hard. And I want you to think about this phrase, and it comes directly from Romans 8.11, which we'll read in a second. In Christ, you have God's power in you. Okay. In Christ, you have God's power in you. Romans 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I want you to think about that verse. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead present in you. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not that you get everything perfect, that, not that you ever fall short, but you have God's power in you and available to you. Church, you are not powerless today. Not because of anything I've done or you've done, but because in Christ, we have God's spirit in us. There is a life that Jesus invites us to live. He is the saving God. But then also he talks about a light. And he says in John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Like I mentioned, this idea of light appears in the Gospels as a whole a lot and appears in John um, quite a bit. And there's a little bit of a paradox when we talk about this word light. Um, you know, as we think about it, to honor Pastor Dave, there's actually a tension. There's a tension that we think about when we think of this word light. So I want to point out two verses to you, and you're going to see where this tension lies. John 8, verse 12, says this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus calls himself the light of the world. This is one of the I am statements in John. And, um, there are several I am statements in John where Jesus makes some pretty exclusive claims about who he is and what he's come to do. So I want you to keep that in mind. He calls himself the light of the world. But then he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So there's the paradox. He calls himself the light of the world, but then he tells his followers, you are the light of the world. There's this exchange that happens when we come to Christ that we then get to represent him 
on this earth. We're lights amongst darkness. Here's the thing about light. The smallest bit of light, the smallest bit of light can illuminate a very, very dark space. So a few weeks ago in youth group, um, we played this game called Manhunt. Um, And I see a few of you laughing already. Uh, We played this game called Manhunt. And the thing about Manhunt is it gets pitch black in here. And and people go and hide and there's two teams and, and all those kinds of things. And so people are trying to find the best spot. And without any light, um, you can be pretty undetectable for like a long amount of time. The tiniest bit of light gives away your space. So I remember we're playing this game and I hear a voice behind me, somebody just yelling, really upset, saying, Chris, that person's cheating. They have their cell phone out. You should go and yell at them. Take their phone away. They're cheating. And like, at first I'm like, man, it, it takes a game like this and everybody has like an advanced moral compass. Like, it's amazing. Like, they have a very keen sense of right and wrong when we start doing games like this, right? Um, but I get what they were saying. The tiniest bit of light gave away their spot. In fact, I thought I had a really great hiding spot downstairs. Um, and the problem was one of the hallways had automatic lights. As soon as someone walked through, they saw right where I was. I lost in like 30 seconds. It was terrible. Um, that's neither here nor there. The tiniest bit of light illuminated a dark space. I want to tell you today, your tiniest bit of light, no matter how small you feel like it may be, can illuminate an unbelieving home. It can illuminate an unbelieving workspace. It can illuminate an unbelieving community. It can illuminate unbelieving friends. You may not feel like you have the biggest light. You may not feel like you have the biggest influence. You may not feel like you have the words to say. You might not feel qualified. But the tiniest bit of light, if you're faithful and you show your light amongst men, it can illuminate a dark space. It can bring that life and that light that Jesus talks about it could be an entryway for the gospel to get into a tough space. I hear stories all the time of an unbelieving family where a son comes to Christ or a father comes to Christ, a mother. It's one member in the family comes to Christ. And as soon as you know it, over months and sometimes over years, the entire family ends up coming to Christ. The smallest amount of light can illuminate a very, very dark space. Jesus is the saving God. And he seeks and he saves the lost. Not only does he save, but he seeks, he goes after the lost. He pursues the lost. He leaves the 99 for the one. That's grace. That's Jesus, the saving God. Trinity, this morning... I want to ask you this question. How's your foundation looking? So we talked about foundations earlier. Um, I, want to, I want to ask you, how is your foundation looking? If you're a believer this morning, would you say that you have a firm foundation? Would you say that you're walking with the Lord? Would you say that you're pursuing Christ? Would you say that you're meeting him in that secret place, in that sacred space?
if you don't know Christ this morning, I want to ask you this question. What is your foundation? Is it as sure and steady as Christ? Does it pursue you like Christ does? Has it created you and sustained you like Christ does and like he will? Is it before all things like Christ, the preeminent God? Trinity, this morning and really over the next few months as we continue the gospel of John, let's commit to our firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And Jesus, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that we get to come before you and worship. We get to look at your word. God, I pray um, this morning that we would be mindful of our foundation. God, that in all things, we would put you first. That Christ would be our foundation before any other thing that we would pursue a life lived with and for you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.